0: Thank you, Chad. Good morning, church. Yeah, you're more alive than the first service, so praise the Lord for that. We're less but more mighty. That's good. So this morning, uh, before I get started, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for whoever uh, reached out to my family, uh, provided meals for them. It was amazing, uh, that blessing. It took some weight from my wife. Um, thank you. It also alleviated me to worry about my family as I was traveling usually there's always fires being put out either when we are in the middle of the mission trip or we're coming back i'll find out all the things that went wrong uh this time around not major issues until i got home and then after that we got some fires but n- nothing to worry about uh, also thank you for the prayers thank you for the texts the messages uh they really mean a lot to us especially when we're on the ground uh you don't know that how tired we are, you don't know the distance we are facing, or just the fact that we just survived just four hours of dangerous roads in the middle of torrential rains through elephant countries. So just thank you again for your prayers. Uh, right now, there's a team coming back from Paraguay. Uh, Micah, Cassie, and uh, Ken are making their way back. So I will encourage you to continue praying for them. Uh, once again, once they're here, there will be a time of adjustment from what they've seen. Uh, so pray for their hearts, pray for their spirit, pray for their mind. Uh, in many cases, we come back and we see a lot of things, and our American brains are programmed to solve everything. My job is to always tell them, "You're not there to fix anything. You're there to observe, to witness, and to serve." If God allows you the opportunity to solve some of those issues, praise the Lord. But it's it's a heavy hearted uh, aspect when we come back and then we, we see all the things that we have. And then we see the things they don't have that creates a burden in our hearts. So please pray for them. And also, uh, the Costa Rica team has been on the ground for two days. Uh, I think, I believe tomorrow that we're finishing the house. And then we're to have a couple of days to just relax. So pray for them for safety. Pray there's a lot of kids on that trip. F- pray that their hearts are changed as well as their spirits are moved to understand why is it that we do missions. So to be intentional, we're going to pray right now. Pray for those two teams, uh, Paraguay and Costa Rica, as well as uh, India. India and myself, are adjusting back uh, to reality. And then we have 17 people taking the leap of faith and going to Kenya uh, at the end of the month. So there's a lot of things going on within the month uh, period. So let's just take some time. Uh, Let's pray. Those prayers are much needed, much appreciated, especially for the teams that are on the ground right now. Father, we want to give you the glory. We want to praise you. I Just thank you, Father, for allowing us to be on mission with you. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to travel to India and just bring stories and our hearts being filled with some of the things that are happening in that part of the world. I pray for Paraguay, Father, as Micah is seeing what their grandparents have been doing for the last 20 years there. Uh, they're being filled with ideas, emotions, thoughts, maybe overwhelmed by some of those things. I pray, Father, that you're able to filter them uh, through your Holy Spirit, that they're able to come back here and maybe have a game plan in terms of how the church and the body can interact and help uh, in Paraguay. I pray for Costa Rica as it's a step for families to kind of get involved in missions. I pray for the children that are going on that trip, that their life will be altered forever and that they're able to see how beautiful it is to be working in your kingdom for your glory. Thank you again for the opportunity for this church uh, to be on mission and continue to expand different locations, different uh, families deciding to go different parts of the world. We pray that the church is able to equip them, is able to embrace them, and able to uh, send them off, Father, where there are blessing. Father, I pray also for Andy, uh, my dad, and myself as we came back. I pray, Father, that you give us just rest at night that gives us just peace of mind and just allow us to be uh, reconnected with our families. Thank you again for this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Amen. So today uh, is a lot of things. I'm sure everyone wants to hear how India was and Bangladesh was. So you get a little bit of taste of that. But also is uh, uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, So I'm trying to incorporate that. And on top of that is the end of the series on 1 Corinthians 15. So almost three different concepts, trying to merge them all into a nice little clean message. Pray for that one. Uh, But then it should work. So today is the conclusion of our series, He is Risen, based on 1 Corinthians 15. So before we move and start with the sermon today, there's two thoughts I want to leave you behind If you're taking notes, that's awesome. If you're watching online, then you definitely have the ability to take notes. There's two thoughts I want you to think about. Number one, when we read 1 Corinthians 15, there's actually bookends. What do I mean by that? Verses 1 and 2, and if you compare that to verse 58, they're very similar in structure and language. So let's just open the Bible and let's read it together. Verses 1 and 2. And then you have verse 58 there. So you can kind of compare it a little bit more. So verse 15 says, Now I will remind you, brothers. And look how verse 58 starts. Therefore, my beloved brothers. So you have a now and a therefore starting the sentences, but also the beginning and the end. And in parentheses you have my beloved brothers. Why is Paul using the same language over and over again? Why is he using certain words like vain, like stand firm, because he is a reminding to us today when we're reading these Bible verses and the readers of those times that that was the essence of his uh, sermon. The other thing that we see is, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and which you have stand. Once again, stand, stand firm, be immovable, right? That same language, the same characteristics. Verse number two, and by which you're being saved in your whole fast to the word preached to you unless you believe in vain. So vain repetition. So once again, just circle those words because once you read all of chapter 15, some of these words are going to continue to appear. And if you want to continue and get maybe a master's in first Corinthians, read first Corinthians 16 and you see a lot of those words repeating itself again. So as you're studying the Word of God, it's very important when you see certain words appear over and over again because there's a message inside of that, and usually Paul is very good at doing that. So that's point number one. There is an instruction for brothers in Christ, verse 1 and 2, and there is another reminder or encouragement in verse 58. So that's point number one. Point number two, 1 Corinthians 15 has over 50 verses talking about Him, Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection, the power that lies in him, in the gospel as well. So 50 chapters, I mean, 50 verses all about him and only five about us. Why is that? Because no matter what we do in this world, no matter what we read, it's always about him and not necessarily about us. When we're thinking about resurrection and we're thinking about Eastern Sunday and we're thinking about Good Friday and we're thinking about Palm Sunday, it's all about him. So when Paul writes this letter, it's reminding us as a body of Christ, be mindful of the power that exists in him. And we need to tap that power. So verses 1 and 2 and verses 58, lots of parallels there. So take some time to read that. And then uh, the second point that I try to make is... Fifty verses about what he has done in the power in the gospel and the resurrection. And only five verses or less about us. What should we do with that power? All right. So that's the introduction. Now we're going to go into the sermon. And there's literally very simple today. Three ideas, three concepts, three reminders, three encouragement you need to know. So if you're taking notes, once again, very simple to um, remember. Number one, stand firm. Verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. Now, when we think about what does it means to be standing firm today in 2023 in Silver Spring, in Washington, D.C., in the United States, for each of us, if we had to go around and ask you, what does it mean to you as a Christian, as a believer, to be standing firm in your faith today? We will all have different responses. So one of the amazing things when you go on mission trips, you begin to understand there's a context, not just for us believers here in the United States, but also around the world. So I got a couple images, and I know you love images. So this is, I believe, one of the most powerful images that I witnessed in this trip. So we were doing about eight baptisms. We were told under no circumstances to post, which I did, Um, And then I had to delete the post. But the idea here is that India is a very restricted country and it's also persecuting Christians very actively. So anything related to baptisms, conversions, believers, churches, it's a big no-no. And then they will have uh, serious precautions to the believers as well as to the leaders of the church there. So when we were doing the baptizing, baptizing, different individuals came. There were different stories about their testimony. There was a young man there that says that he survived a landslide. Seventy-three people died, and he was the only one from his family to survive. And he knew, right? He knew the power of the gospel. He knew they needed to give his life to Christ, and he made that leap of faith. But this woman, I would say she's about 75 years of age, You can tell this expression of joy in her face as she's being baptized. You don't have to put words into it. You don't have to put a Bible verse attached to it. You can tell there's joy in that face. Now, as Americans, we're probably just not looking at her face. We're probably looking at the dirty water behind her, right? And I got a lot of that. Why is the water yellow? Well, because it was in a tank and then the rain the previous day when they pumped the water from there to there, it got muddy. It's okay. They're not thinking about the water. right? They're not thinking about contamination. They're thinking about they're literally giving a public testimony to the entire world and there will be going to consequences. So as we were told, this young lady belongs to an ethnic group. And by converting to Christianity, she's pretty much an outcast in her village. So when she walks out of baptismal and she's being given a cloth to cover herself, she starts weeping uncontrollably because she knew the consequences and the persecution she was going to face. She had to give her family up. She had to give her home up. She had to give her village up for this decision. Eight individuals were baptized on that day. Now, we were privileged to witness those baptisms. Usually Americans or foreigners are not allowed to witness baptisms. Or this picture here. This is Bangladesh on the latter end of the trip. I've been there. This is my second time and this is the only country that I have visited twice. I usually say my job as a missionary or someone that mobilizes individuals to go to missions is to open doors, open territories. It's someone else to follow up after me. But Bangladesh is a very special place in my heart. It's one of the most beautiful places I've seen on earth. And I've been to a lot of places. So we were there uh, visiting a friend of mine that we connected six years ago. He started his own church and is growing like wildfire with zero support. And then this time he's like, brother, you're going to be able to baptize 20 new believers. So we go in, drove a lot, flew and drove and walked an hour and a half in the sun to reach a point somewhere in the river that no one else was there. Twenty-three individuals lined up, and they all took the leap of faith to get baptized. Now, why we needed to find a place that no one witnessed or the community? Because it's a Muslim community. So we needed to be extremely careful who was watching us during the baptism. As we walked back another hour and a half, We continue to think about what will be of these Christians as they start their faith in Christ. What would it look like for them to stand firm in the faith? It's very easy for us to use those words with them. They will face persecution. They will most likely lose their job, lose their home, potentially be in jail or torture. But for us here in America, stand firm might mean different things or have different words attached to it. But for individuals around the world that are converting to Christianity and giving their life to Jesus, they know what they're facing and what they're feeling. The second word that we're going to look at today is give yourself fully. And as you begin to contemplate, stand firm and what that means to you or for the body of Christ here in service Spring. Or you begin to think about what it means to you or to your family to give yourself fully to the ministry or to the gospel. I'm reminded about the individuals around the world. I'm reminded about the families that are constantly facing and being mocked and being persecuted, being harassed for their faith around the world. And we begin to think about what is truly our faith means in a world where there is no persecution per se. But for these believers, they are constantly walking or Finding secret locations to meet, to share the word. Or to be conscious, how do you approach other individuals when you use the name of Isa, of Jesus, or followers of Jesus? And how are the other individuals going to respond? Are they going to report you to the police? Are they going to report you to the local imam? The many hours the individuals have to walk just to meet with other believers. Or think about the leaders or the coordinators of the local churches. The dangers they expose themselves on a regular basis just to meet with believers. Andy's not here, but if Andy was ever talk to him, just think about or ask him, what were some of the dangers that we face on the roads? I mean, you're talking about numerous amount of dangers. And Bangladesh is the only place where I truly believe that I'm going to die. The roads are extremely narrow. They drive extremely crazy, and within millimeters, the buses are coming at you at 80 miles per hour, with shift. But you're doing that every 30 seconds. And we drove at night for four hours and a half. So you're like, I'm just going to die. I am going to die. So you go, should I wear the seatbelt and maybe go to the ER or just unclick the seatbelt? Because if I do die, I don't want to go to the ER, Right? But it's this thing, right? Just constantly fear of like, am I going to die? Am I going to die? But think about the the leaders constantly doing that on a regular basis, on a weekly to end basis, going into hostile territories, trying to meet with the local leaders. Or this image. We cross a river, then get uh, driven by horse carts for about an hour to find a village where believers are. And then we set up a uh, mini-service and then began to preach, not just to the believers, but to the entire community. Now, the interesting aspect of it, we were preaching at the beginning of Ramadan in a Muslim country, preaching about following Jesus. And the leader of Bangladesh said, we're here for a little bit, and when I tell you we need to go, we need to go. And he said, it's time to go. So make our way back, 45 minutes and horses, carts, and then cross the river to then continue doing the road. And then we needed to be back, but no later than 5 or 6 o'clock before they had to give their fast of Ramadan. He said, things get really crazy here after 5 o'clock, because people are starving, they're hungry, characters are are, are, you know, uh, are in flames, right? they're hungry, so like we need to be back. But think about what will you give yourself fully? How far are you willing to go To either hear about the gospel or share the gospel. Now, for us in North America, I don't know what that means. And truly, I was praying on it this week. I've been praying, coming back. I know I had to incorporate stories about India and Bangladesh, because people love to hear those stories. Right? They feel compelled about it, maybe they feel a little bit motivated by it. But what does it mean for us Christians here to stand firm, to give ourselves fully? What I can tell you is that this week, as I was trying to settle back in, I kept asking the Lord, what does it mean for myself and for the body of Christ here at the well that our work in the Lord is not in vain? So this week was crazy. I get in on Sunday at 6 p.m., and then I think by 8 o'clock I'm crashing out. And then waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and then on and off and on and on. Then I did not go to work on Monday. Had to drop off the kids at school, try to get some sleep. Did not, was able to get some sleep and just continued. Tuesday I went to work and Matt is like, why are you doing here? I was like, uh, I'm not going to sleep, so might as well get some work done. Wednesday I had to go teach. Thursday I, I do other stuff on Friday. My day off, it was just filled with meetings. But among all of that, I get a text on Wednesday after I was teaching. A guy that I have mentored over the years, he he calls me up and he said, I have great news. I'm so excited to let you know what's happening in my work. He works for a secular, uh, non-Christian financial company. He says, because of the Equity and Diversity Inclusion Act, the LGBTQ community has protection in order to create groups. However, because of that inclusion and equity and diversity, guess what? Christians are also allowed to have Christian fellowship. He's like, I didn't know. I just find that out. And I find out that this person is leading it, and I connected to it. And then I find out that someone else was connected. it, And now I pray it at our annual meeting. How awesome is that? I connected with someone else in Sherman Williams. And I told them about the diversity, exclusion. inclusion. That they can also go to HR and ask and demand for a safe space for Christians. And I was like, how awesome is it? Praise the Lord. That even in the secular world, even though we're feeling persecution or feeling like the minority, we can use the laws to protect our faith. And he's like, I'm meeting more and more individuals. We're preaching. We're sharing on social media. We're doing this. And now I'm like, I needed to hear that, because some of us are feeling like the outsider. We're feeling like the lonely wolf, right, in the middle of the secular world. But there are other Christians as well. They're feeling like themselves. Imagine how awesome would it be for you to come together and stand firm in the world that is persecuting us for our faith. Think about our children in the schools, in public schools, where they have a prayer meetings. Or bring your Bible to school. Or be able to actively share about the gospel in a place where you cannot necessarily do it. So that was Wednesday. Thursday, or Wednesday or Tuesday, we negotiated with my son's uh, geography teacher. And this is all God's work. They were finishing talking about India for that quarter. They didn't know that Josue's dad went to India and when they find out, like, can he come and talk about India? And I'm like, what time? They're like, well, around 9.30. I'm like, sure, usually that's my nap time, but I'll try. And then they wanted me to do the twelve thirty one. I was like, but that's the entire day. I was like, sure, why not? So I go in, and I got to give it to you, elementary school teachers or middle school teachers. Oh, my Lord. Pray for the teachers. I was there, and I'm like, I'm a college professor, so I know how to manage her room. But it takes extra power and grace and prayer over those kids. They were acting up. They were speaking up. They were drinking soda. They were standing up. They were interrupting me every 30 seconds. And I'm like, this kid had the, the phone in her bag, and I saw it because I'm a dad. I saw her put her in the back, and I'm speaking. She's into the back doing this. And I said, young lady, you have a phone, don't you? She said, no, I do not. I said, do you want me to go in there and get it? She's like, no, 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 no. So in the middle of all of that, right, standing firm for the faith, right, I go and I start just sharing about India, how many unreached groups there are. 90% of the population of uh, Bangladesh of India is unreached. 95% of the population of Bangladesh is unreached. Then I give them bracelets. And I say, who wants to go through the collars? They kept fighting over who will come up and stand up in a room and then share about the gospel. I'm like, that's amazing. Then the teacher's talking to me about how can that small class begin to collect money or do bracelets or care packages so we can take them around the world. I was like, how awesome is it, right? God creating these things. Thursday, I don't know what I did on Thursday. No, Thursday was geography. Then Friday, we have uh, our 3D groups. And praise the Lord, they meet on Fridays at 7 o'clock in the morning on my day off. And every usually I'll get a text and say, are you coming on a Wednesday? And I'm like, I don't know. Usually I try to sleep around that time or not wake up. And every time, like clockwork, I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. So I'm like, I get it, Holy Spirit. I got to go. So I go and I drive and I sit there and I wait for the individuals. And then with the conversations that we're having and then the transparency and the sharing about struggles and life gives me hope that our work is not in vain. Then I get a text and a call that day and I can't answer because I was in another meeting. And then all of a sudden, uh, he's like, can you talk to this individual? He's interesting in India. I was like, sure. I talked to him and he's like, Um, young individual. I don't know who he is. He's like, I'm interested in going on missions. I said, well, we got maybe potentially Ukraine coming up in September. I don't know yet. And he goes, tell me more about India. And I was like sharing about India. And he goes, and I asked him, why are you so interested about India? And then he goes, my dad is from India, from that city that you were just in. I'm like, what? Right? The Lord connecting the dots. My mom is Haitian. And they have a ministry in Haiti and in India. My first thought is how can I connect this ministry with the ministry in India for the Lord's glory. God connecting the dots. And we began to think about and when we began to shift our mindset that we don't want to get a bigger house. We don't want to get a car or we don't want to necessarily get the biggest 401k. But we began to think about what it means to work in the Lord then our work is not in vain. It gives us hope. It gives me joy, right? You can tell my face, right? It gives me hope. It gives me joy to know that God is working, connecting the dots. And the question is, how do you connect to all of this? And you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm not interested in missions. I'm not called to go on missions. I barely pray for missions. I don't give to missions, and let alone, I'm not going to go to missions. But I can tell you that if you're a believer, and you believe what the resurrection means and the gospel means, then you're a missionary automatically, whether you want to or not. It is your job to proclaim the gospel here and over there. But what it means, and I believe that this morning, if you're a mother praying over your children, praying for their salvation, praying for their spiritual growth, praying for their careers, then your work is not in vain. If you're a student or a college student going through the motions about what is my degree, what my degree is going to look like, what my job might be if I'm going to go to grad school, if you begin to shift your mindset in terms of what if or what is next? And you say, I'm gonna trust in the Lord that whatever I do, whatever my profession is to glorify him, then your work is not in vain. If you're a professional working as a consultant, IT and analyst, if you are a nurse, if you are an engineer, whatever you are, and you say, Whatever God has made me and allow me to do, if I put that for his kingdom and his glory then your work is not in vain. If you're a Sunday school teacher that comes here and you feel like myself on Thursday where you just gave yourself out and the kids did not pay attention to all the activities and the songs that you did, they didn't memorize the Bible verse or forgot the sheet of paper right on the, uh, the, the chair, Trust in the Lord that the work you're doing for him is not in vain. It might take a couple years. It might take a decade. Just keep praying over them. If you're a teacher in middle school or high school or elementary school struggling because the academia and the systems are just so bureaucratically inept, you're there because you're light and salt and God has put you there for a reason. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. If you're in the welcome team, if you are a student ministry leader, if you are just in any capacity working in the church and you feel that your work is in vain, let me tell you, it's not. And when we think about what are we celebrating or meditating on, think about Psalms Palm Sunday. Let's go and turn to John 12 13 to 15. Jesus knew that he needed to go into Jerusalem. There was a prophecy he needed to fulfill. He knew that by going into Jerusalem, he was going to set off certain other prophecies as well. He knew that in seven days he was going to be crucified. He knew that he was going to be tortured. He knew. But he stood firm in the belief of the power of the resurrection and the gospel. He also... Gave himself fully at the cross. Knowing willingly that he was God and he could stop the pain, he gave himself fully for you and I. And as he goes into Jerusalem, knowing that people are throwing and hailing Osana and claiming his name as the king, he knew that a week later, they'll be all screaming, let's crucify him. He knew that his work in Christ in his father was not in vain. He needed to go through that in order to get to the cross for us to have access to the gospel. And if you're thinking about parallels, if you look at John 12, 13, and 15, and you compare that with Revelations 5 to 9, as Jesus is coming in, they're crying out, Osana, Osana. But in Revelations 5, 9, we'll be singing to the Lord as well. The resurrection is done. And now we're all here waiting for something to take place. And what is that? His second return. In essence, we're in the parentheses right now. We're waiting. And this is where 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, and 58 comes again. Therefore, as you wait for his second return, I'm reminding you to stand firm. Let your faith not be shaken or moved. Give yourself fully to the gospel because our work in the Lord is not in vain. It's a promise. We're not supposed to be just here sitting idly waiting for him to return. We're supposed to go out and share the gospel. So as a church, as we begin to expand and begin to think about where is God calling us, and we begin to think about where our next partners are going to be and who's going to come with us to go to this part of the world. Like today, I got a call, you know, I since I talk about missions all the time, I get cornered about missions all the time, right? This young lady is waiting for me in the back, and she's like, have you decided about Puerto Rico? And I'm like, look, I got to come back from Kenya first. Then I got to, like, breathe a little bit. Then I got to go on a family trip. Then come back and then figure out. And then I got Mario looking at me right now telling me, like, I already committed to going to Ukraine. But then I got my wife looking at me, and I'm like, well, you know, we got we to gotta negotiate certain things, right? But that's a good problem to have, that people are beginning to think about, how do I fit into the global missions? What is my role? And that is a great problem to have, where you're all of a sudden thinking about, I'm going to go to the Philippines. I'm going to go to Indonesia. I'm going to go to China. I'm like, praise the Lord, because I'm not going with you, because I only can go twice a trip a year. So I I already wasted that. So think about right. how do we equip ourselves and begin to pray for one another that we are catalysts, we're mobilizers and we're thinking about where can we go where the gospel has not been preached and how we can support their work either through prayer, through giving and I believe the hardest thing is by going. So as we take communion today and as we begin to reflect on what Palm Sunday means to us, and then seven days later, he's going to be crucified. Think about what that all means. And sometimes we're always stuck on his crucifixion, right? The price that he paid at the cross. And yes, that's important, but also his return is also important. He's coming back for his body, he's coming back for us. And as we wait, let's not wait idly. Just sitting, waiting for him to return. Let us pray. Dear Father, this morning, we just want to give you the glory. We want to acknowledge your word. We want to acknowledge your promises in the word. We want to acknowledge that you have power over resurrection. You have the power over sin and death, Father. We acknowledge that you will be returning for your body and your, and your church, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to be part of this universal church. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be working in your kingdom for your glory. I pray, Father, that every individual that is sitting here, every family, is thinking about what is my role in missions, whether it's locally or abroad. Father, as we go out, let's spend some time praying for the persecuted church. Let's pray, Father, for the new believers. Let's pray, Father, for the emerging home churches. For the churches, Father, that are standing firm. For the leaders that are giving themselves fully. And I pray, Father, that the prayers are encouraging to them as they maybe are thinking, why am I doing this? Father, their work is not in vain. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to pray and to give. And thank you for those, Father, that have, uh, are willing to go and those that are considering to go. Thank you once again for the opportunity to pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And as you're ready, let's take communion and just remember that he is coming back for his church.